0: Welcome to My Life, Chishidah Supplied, episode 437. This program is in merit of Baruch Yoman Ben Menuchel Lana and Miriam Bas Sarah Sara Kusil Ben Le'er Rochel and Rochel Bas Liba Farkash, and dedicated by Pinchas Todris and Ben Miriam and Sara Bas Rochel Altais. Being that tonight is Chav Be'i Shvat, this the 22nd of Shvat, We'll begin with that. It's the 35, 35th yard site, 35 years from the Rebetzin Chaimushka's passing in the year, Tov Mem Ches Chav
1: Those
0: of us old enough to remember, remember that day, sad day. A day that had a deep impact on the Rebbe going forward, which was so visible and uh, palpable. And... Um, it remains etched in our minds and our beings, being that the and Rebetzin, partners in life, partners in the Deir HaShvi, it was so very significant. I remember on a personal note, after the when came back from the Levi, and came home, we sat Shiva, so he spoke a few words, about uh, Necham Avelim, that though there are different customs, some don't be, don't come to visit and to console until the third day, some don't come until the second day, some in the first day, but now, due to especially that it's Avis Yisrael, you have to proceed and do it as early as possible because it's part of Avis Isral. Rebbe spoke about it as someone who had the merit to prepare these sikhs for publication. So I wrote up the Rebbe's words But I didn't know if the Rebbe was going to edit it or not edit it. I felt also uncomfortable, the Rebbe sitting Shiva. So I decided I'll type it up on one page. And um, being that it went over on the second page, instead of making two separate pages, which we we usually would do, I made it back to back. So it would be one page and easier. And I gave it to the secretary. And I said, if you have a megalkite, if you think there's an opportunity, and the Rebbe may want to edit it, here it is. I didn't want to push it as like, uh, because again, the circumstances. Anyway, within a half hour, I believe, I get a call to come to President Street, the Rebbe edited it. And it's interesting that at in that type of moment, you think the Rebbe, he immersed himself. When he spoke, he spoke literally different halachas, the tashbats. He brought sources. It was quite uh, awesome to see. Anyway, when the Rebbe edited it, so because it's not we're not accustomed to giving the Rebbe anything back-to-back, on one page, the Rebbe wrote on top that kanida that appears that you're missing something that I said. And then the Rebbe realized that it was written on the other side, so he crossed out what he wrote initially, that he had said it, because we actually did write it. I felt bad a bit because you know, the Rebbe had to look on the other side, but I thought it was the easiest way to go. Anyway, this is printed now. Now we have this uh, the words that the Rebbe wrote and the Rebbe said and the Rebbe wrote and edited. Just a little, uh, another, another interesting note to make. Every year, in the later years, when it was the Rebbe's anniversary, Yudalat Kislev, the Rebbe and the Rebbe, so we married, tough, and he so in the early years, there were, well, I mean, people knew, but it was not necessarily in Tovshin Yudalid, which was uh, which was uh, 25 years from Peites, Tovshin Peites, and Tovshin. The Rebbe spoke about it, and that's when the Rebbe said his famous L'Chodei, and then later edited it. And the same thing in Tovshin Tes, which was um, 40 years for Petes. the Rebbe spoke about it, it was a whole blessing. After that, every uh, year, the Chesidim would go and give a Rebbe a blessing. In Tovshin Lametes, which would have been 60 years, the 60th year from um, Paytas, uh, the, the the what did I say, the, 60th, the 50th year, I'm sorry, the 50th year from Paytes um, so Chsedim went in to the Rebbe Ganed Natach, they gave the Rebbe a The Rebbe responded, of course, with a the and they said that we have here some uh, people who were there at the actual wedding fifty years ago. So the Rebbe said, "It should be to come to the sixtieth year. Sixtieth year, tov shememtes. Ready after the Histalkus. So that year, because the Rebbe said, Bezeichel to go to the 60th year, they decided instead of waiting till Tavshin Memtes, they went in Tavshin Memches, the beginning of the 60th year, to bless the Rebbe and Yudal Al Kislev, him and the Rebbe. The Rebbe was still here. It was before Chav Beishvat, Yudal Al Kislev. And the Rebbe gave a bracha, a very short bracha, and we prepared it. The Rebbe always would edit these things, but he did not edit it. He gave it in a second time. I remember I asked Rabbi Groner, he said it's on top by the Rebbe. Even when it got a little lower in the pile, he put it on top. The Rebbe never edited it. Within a few months, this was uh, Kislev, Teve Shvat, two months later, Chov Shvat. He had a sense of perhaps why the Rebbe didn't edit it. That, uh, that Bruchet. And interesting that was—they was never really zecher the Rebbezim was never in the Shaman Beguv to celebrate the 60th full 60th anniversary. Just a few interesting uh, points to make. I once heard from one of the Masharshim, one of the people who helped out in the Rebbe in the Rebbezim's house, that the Rebbe once came home and you dal Kislev, and usually when they would hear the Rebbe open the put the key in the door. The Misharis would go and he would open the door for the reb. This time the Rebetzin was the first to open it. The Misharis ended up being a little behind her. And the Rebbe walked in, he saw the and he said, Mazel Both his hands up, Mazel And then the Rebbe noticed him and the Rebbe subdued, I guess, his tone. He felt so uncomfortable because it was such a personal moment between him and the Rebetzin. So that was a Yudal Kislev story. But you just see the connection even though it wasn't so apparent and so blatant, but melech and malka, a king and a queen, malka beley matrinisa is not complete. And we saw it visibly after the Estalkos, how it affected the Rebbe. You know, me a day, we are not people who know what's going on, but there's no question there was something that really had a deep impact. And you see the Rebbe moved his whole operation to the house for a year, so i three times a day, I mean, the Rebbe was very openly grieving. It was very, very clear. And I always wondered, because in Tov She'chofei, when the Rebbe's mother, Rebbe Zachanah, passed away, relatively speaking, things were very discreet. And here, the Rebbe was almost like going out of the way to make it very clear that something happened. The Fabrengans changed structure after Pesach that year, Tosha Memchas, 35 years ago. The Rebbe stopped speaking Rashi Siches, stopped the Zohar, the Rambam. All the things the Rebbe did was so precious to the Rebbe. Maimorim stopped at the end of Tavshim Amchas. The Rebbe stopped saying Maimorim. He said a few individual Maimorim after that, but not regularly. And we are not here to explain. The Fabrengans became shorter, different style. But clearly it was an impact. I always wondered why the Rebbe felt importance to make it clear, it clear to us. So we know that Tzamech Tzedek is a similar situation. Tzamech Tzedek, also the Rebbe Tzenechay Moshka passed away before he did. Five years also, five years earlier, in Tofresh Chofalov. And the Rebbe Tzamech Tzedek passed away in Tofresh Khovov. And there too it had a deep impact on the Tzamech Tzedek. Yechida stopped, Maimorim stopped. To the point, the Chesidim came to the Rebbe and said, Rebbe, we need you. And he said, the Rebbe said, A king is not a king without his queen. And they brought him, a Maimah that the queen is Taira, And he didn't accept that. So there were many similarities. So again, we don't know how these things work. We know the idea of Zon, Malchus, and Atsilas, how they are together. And they are one union and one unit and one connection. But I'm here not to analyze it, just to comment on it, because clearly Chov has that type of effect. At the same time, the Rebbe turned, like everything, into a positive. Chov if you look at the siche, a kuntras that came out of Shenun Be'ez, was like the fourth yard site of, of the Rebbe Mushke. so the siche came out, because the Rebbe emphasized on the word Be'chah, Chov Be'ez is the letters Be'chah, and the Rebbe said, just to read straight from the Sikh, he says is mit connected to blessing. in the hinted to in the letter number twenty-two, and what is Meramas? a day. That from that day, through that day, and with that day, Jews get blessed in all their needs. Because Chabesi he goes on to explain, is the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So it covers the entire spectrum of everything possible blessing that a person can come and need. That's what he goes on to explain. It's a very powerful sikh and definitely worth reading connection to Chav Be'eshva tonight, tomorrow. Goes on to explain... The number of 22 is twice Yud Aleph. The Tkufis, I mean, you see clearly that he connects the day to the whole uh, era, the whole period of the seventh generation, starting from Yud Shvat, Tov Shin Yud, and then Tov Shin Yud Aleph, and Yud Aleph Shvat, and Yud Aleph Nissen, and Chav Bez is twice Yud Aleph. Talks about how it is part of the whole process, and especially in the last stage. The last stage, right before Geula, twice Yud Alef, and Yud Alef itself is higher than say the Rish Shlus, with Yud, Yud Shvat, Tovshin Yud, all representing the completion of a cycle. Yud Alef represents that which is beyond the cycle. Gili and, and twice Yud Alef Chov represents coming to the Geula. The Reb also explains beautifully the Rebbe name, how it's connected to the whole concept of making a dira with tachtenim, chayimushket, that a dira, a home is not just a home, but it should be a beautiful home. noah, a beautiful home. And a beautiful home is chaya, which means filled with vitality and life, and Mushka, which is from the word musak, which is a reyach beautiful aroma. And the Rebbe explains those two elements. So you see from this seicheh, in tov shenunbez, in connection to chav the Rebbe speaks about, the Rebbe in this in this global sense, see clearly, Connected to the Rebbe's own shlichus, so in a positive way, we know that the name of a yortza, the histalkus, as the Alter Rebbe says, is the day when all the Aveda, everything that that person did, all gathers together, and elevates above, and then comes and drawn down below. Pale yeshuas. it affects redemptions and salvations in the abyss, in the depths, in the midst of the very earth of our lives. So as much as on one hand there was a certain obviously, a sadness, and as we saw the effect, but at the same time it's also this very powerful day, <laughs> one that is filled with blessings and brings us blessings. So that's just a general statement about what we can derive from Chav Shvat. And Shvat. And it's a day that goes hand in hand with the Rebbe, and in the sense of all the, all the roles and mission of our, of our generation of Deir Shvi, comes together in Chabbei Shvat. More specifically, I'll just tell a story again. It's not Chabbei Shvat, it's interesting stories with the Lebitzin. Beautiful story I heard. I'll tell two stories that I heard. One is I heard this from, uh, I could say his name, he's Olav Hashom already, of Tevil. He was a boy, a young boy in Crown Heights during the summer. He was one of those that remained here. His family was here for the summer. And he once was standing in front of 770. And the Rebotson drove up. She was going to see her mother, who was living in the Rebotson on the second floor of 770. And she came with bags. She had apparently gone shopping. And uh, The Bachim would all run all over the place, uh, away. But he was a kid. He came, went over to the Rebotson and offered to help her. So she gave him one of the bags, and he he walked with her. They came to the elevator. She noticed that he had a cast on his hand. He had broken his arm, and he had a cast, a plaster cast. So she said to him, you know, you don't need to uh, bother. But he insisted. Went up with her in the elevator upstairs, a little boy. And the Rebotson went into the apartment with her bags, and she said to him, wait here for a minute. She came back with a big chocolate. You know those chocolate coins? A big roll of chocolate coins that you give for Kshalchmonas. Um And she gives it to him. And he had the l'chutzpah, his sister of Rebetzin. You may not know, but I, I come from a chutzpah home. And they educated us. When you do a favor for a Jew, you can you don't take payment for it. it Sell for the Rebbezson, especially from the Rebbotson. He Said the Rebbezson gave him a smile from ear to ear, broad, broad smile, and said, <laughs> and I think, presume that I also come from a chesidushaheim. <laughs> She's only the wife of a Rebbe, of a Rebbe, the daughter of a Rebbe, granddaughter of a great granddaughter, all the way to the Alta Rebbe says I think I also come from And then, and they educated us that when you're given something, you take it. On like good chocolate, especially a good chocolate. So he took it and enjoyed it, shared it with his friends. You know, Shmaka's story it right away brings to mind the story with her grandfather indeed, the Tzamach, who said once, that Rebbe had offered him as a gift, a certain amount of yidiya, a certain amount of knowledge in Teda. And he rejected it, because the Yigayi he wants to struggle, he wants to exert himself. He doesn't want it as a gift, he wants to make an effort to get it on his own. Anyway. Um, the, the, and then later he says he regretted it, because since is Aruchim it's Midah Varechava Minayam, Teda's Eintsov is infinite. So as much as he would have get, gotten as a gift, he could have always used his effort to go further. It comes to mind that Ebbotson is saying, When you're given something, you take it. It's a gift. So we were given tremendous keiches, tremendous resources. Eitzes, as we learned in the Maimur Bas Ligani, treasures, treasures that were concealed and never revealed, are given to us the... the the front line, the soldiers, the plain foot soldiers that lead the way in fighting the battle of making this world And when you're given something, you take it. Which means you don't, you, you, don't, uh, you, you, don't, um, you appreciate it, you don't take it for granted. You take it and you use it to the fullest. And then put more effort to go beyond. That's what we have to take away from Chov Be'i Shvat. The tremendous power that the Rebbe and the Rebetzin gave us. The power of Chov Be'i Shvat, Chov Be'i Isis, Becho Yisrael. I wrote Another story, which also is a Gishmakah story, somebody who went to visit the Rebetzin once. <clears throat> and the Rebetzin gave him a cup of tea and they were standing and speaking. And uh, I guess he wasn't the wisest individual. So he started telling the Rebetzin about it. his city, which was out of the country, all kinds of fights and machlekas and uh, disagreements and conflicts, and he was just sharing it. And the Rebbitzin, at some point, clearly was very agitated by it. She was disturbed, and she made us, you know, in her edel, a very refined way. She made like this to him, like, "Be, be quiet a minute," and told him, "Put down his cup of tea." He put it down, and she said to him these words. She says, "The zaidat Gizokt, as in is als My grandfather said. The Rebbe Rashab. Then Labavitch, everything is good. <laughs> so what did this guy say? Rebetzin, with all due respect, it's not good. And he went on with another barrage of, of, of problems. That got to the newspapers, and there's all kinds of arguments, and people are talking. Anyway, then the Rebetzin cut him off again and said to him, Eib senish gut, osnish If it's not good, it's not Lubavitch. Think of the words. That's Lubavitch. Lubavitch is good. And if it's not good, it's not Lubavitch. It reminds me, I remember my father, Oluvasholem, who was a journalist, the publisher, and editor, Algemeine Journal. So he once wrote an article about, to extinguish the fires of Machlekes and Lubavitch. There were conflicts that were going on. So I called my father and I said, with respect to you as my father, do you mind if I write an article, but like a rebuttal to your article? No, my father loved it. So I actually wrote an article in Yiddish saying, with all respect, respect to my father, Machlechus is not in Lubavitch. And I told another story, a famous story of a chassid who used to walk from, uh, where was it, one of the cities not far from Lubavitch. He would always walk to Lubavitch for Yomtev, to go to the Rebbe, his Rebbe. As he got older, his family said, but you have to walk before Yontav. We'll take you in a wagon with a horse and uh, you could stay Yantav there. No, he insisted on walking. After a while, they said, why? Why do you insist on walking? So he says, look, I'm gonna come up after May of Esrim Shon 120 years to heaven. And they ask me, they're gonna ask me, what schusim do I have? What merits do I have? And the merit that I, can, that I know is when I walked to my own lab, I walked with my own feet to the Reb, And I don't want a horse coming along and saying, I also want partial reward because I, 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 you rode with me. In my Lubavitch, I don't want to have a horse. So I had not heard the story of the Rebets story yet. I heard that years later. But That's the story, there's Lubavitch and there's the Ferid. There's what's good and that's Lubavitch. And what's not good is not in Lubavitch. The fact that somebody may call themselves Lubavitch that doesn't mean it's Labavitch. It's a very beautiful way of putting it. And of course, we cannot forget that Ebbetson's words, that was such a linchpin, cornerstone to the Haytavis case. When she was asked, do the Sfarin belong to the Rebbe or to the Chassidim. There's volumes and volumes that we can learn from these statements, from these approaches. It's the approach of what, what uh, a Rebbe is. What Chassidus is, what labavich is, coming from the Rebbe's words herself. Those are some of the lessons that we can learn about what we should be living up to. A famous expression, that the Rebbe would often quote, If something is missing, you don't understand something, don't blame the one that said it to you. Look at yourself. If it's empty, it means makem, something's missing by you. If it's not good, it's you. It's not about labavich. it's not about the Rebbe. And it's critical to keep that in mind all the time. These things are pure. We never want to sully in any way, pollute these high standards. We're not there yet. That We're all human beings. We're all flawed. We all have our shortcomings. Critical lesson to understand in life, to be able to know, as the Alter Rebbe said, how small you are and how great you can become. You have to know where you are. You have to know how great you can become. The Rebetzin, of course, epitomized that in her own private, quiet, and discreet way. Okay, with that, let us speak about um, this this week's Pasha's, Pasha's Mishpatim. So let's go over that. The Mishpatim Tov Ches, the year of the Stalkos, that Shabbos was the middle of Shivan. So initially, the Rebbe was not going to Fabrin, even though he was Fabrin every week. Initially, he was going to stay home. But then Friday afternoon, word came that Rebbe is going to 770, he's going to Fabrin. One of the things that Rebbe spoke about, and I also had the schus to prepare that sikh, it's printed in Seferah siege, Toshim Amchas, Mishpatim, the Zoyar and El Mishpatim, these are the rules, these are the laws, the laws of what? Of Gilgulin, of reincarnations. It talks about nishamas, these are the rules of how nishamas. Travel. And of course the connection to Chav Shvat is obvious and the Rebbe spoke about that connection very directly. So that's an overall connection to Chav Shvat, Mishpatim. The Mishpatim are the rules, yes, the laws of the Torah, but it's also the laws of the journey of souls. And the truth is, it's not the opposite of the Pshat. The Pshat that talks about the whether it's the servants, or the Avid Kanani, or the Omer you look at Chesidus, different places in Der there's a famous Maimur from the Altar Rebbe, which the Tzemek Tzedek calls Drush Nichbad Mo'id. The Rebbe makes reference to it. A very distinguished Maimur, a, a rare expression, where he explains that this is all the journey of the souls. in as well in Mishpatim. The journey of the souls in the six years is the six millennia, of the soul's work in this world, and then the 7th millennia, when you go free, is the freedom of the Geula, as discussed in the Maimodim. So indeed, that is the story of the souls. So Chav beisvat the story of a soul and a Shama, Shama of the Rebetzin. And uh, the Rebbe spoke about that and many other different topics. Again, something worthwhile learning and reading. So, for the practical lessons that we learn from Mishpatim, one of the classics, of course, is the ha-Mishpatim. means, when you say Ve'ela, it means mesif ala that it follows Matan teda, that just as the laws that were given at Sinai were from, the laws in, in, in the previous parasha were given at Sinai, also these laws in Mishpatim are given at Sinai. What's the Kiddush? So this brings us To the the point, the chiddush is because we're talking now the laws that are rational laws, logical laws. You could say the laws given at Sinai that are super rational. For sure, you need God to give them, But the logical laws, who says? So we say no, the logical laws are also part of what's given at Sinai. Which answers another question, why is it called mishpatim? We know there's b'chukim, edus, mishpatim, three names for mitzvahs. Mishpatim are the rational mitzvahs. The ones that we could have figured out on our own as well. Things like loving another, being kind, charitable. Ediths are commemorative mitzvahs, like Shabbos, Yom Tev. We commemorate an event that happened. It makes sense, but it's more commemorative rather than just a purely ethical, logical, ethical law. And chukim are the super-rational laws. Por shatness. Shatnes. Paradumah is, of course, the classic. Zues Chukas HaTedah. Something no human being would ever have come up with. It has to be coming from God. Exodus explains, especially the Fridic Rebbe, that the truth is all mitzvahs have an element of chukim. They're all really, even if it manifests in logic, but it originates because who created logic? Like You can ask, is logic logical? Who created logic? So logic also is based on something that's super-rational. And the other way around, even Chukim can be explained, as the Rambam says, we always look for reasons, ethical reasons, morals, lessons we can learn even from Chukim. Exodus does indeed explain, even Paraduma. doesn't explain the mitzvah, that this is the reason for it, because the reason is higher than reason. Why? Because we need a combination of both. We need to integrate, and that's the chizr of El HaMeshpat. That this is also to tell us that the super-rational, the connection to God, beyond logic, is also what permeates logic, because we want to join, make that the divine should permeate our minds, not just our faith. So one lesson in Mishpatim is that lesson, the lesson of the connection between our rational minds and the rational structure of existence, and all its rules and parameters connected to that which is beyond and that's indeed what happened by martin so, so this says the question do not steal do not murder they're all logical mitzvahs and why then do you need that because you want to say that the most logical rational mitzvahs, if you don't have the god element the foundation that makes it unwavering everybody can use their mind and can make exceptions like we see the Rebbe brings examples of Shumay, the nazis They decided to play God. And when they start saying, there's no anoche, then I can decide who you can kill, who you cannot kill. But when it's based on a foundation that's beyond us, God gave us these rules, not just based on our logic, that even our logic is based on something higher than ourselves. That's what guarantees that it would be kept absolutely. And it's a lesson in life in general that the things that, you know, the things that we don't understand, we could say, okay, I suspend myself and, and surrender to God. But the things we think we have figured out, how I run my business and other things we think we're experts. It says the Teda, no, not kechav etzim yosli, kechav etzim yodi osli as Don't think you're self made. In the Perekut Gimel of Yudshva that we learned this year, in, Tavshin, in Tavshin's um, Pe Gimel, the 13th chapter, he talks about that. That the idea of pari in, in Balei Asik would be someone that liyu eliva niyasisini. I'm self made. You have to know God's blessing is what makes you wealthy. God wants you to do and make a container, but it's a it's, it's, He gave you the power and the strength. And that's a bigger challenge. It's easy to suspend ourselves when we don't know. It's when we, you do know to realize that even what you know is also aligned with a higher purpose. The story they tell about um Aaron that the would refer to it in some letters in the early years in Tovshin Yud Yud So Aaron Belinitser was a chassid of Tzimch and um Zadik would go to Petersburg, Petersburg, to some to deal with different government things to make life a little easier for the Jews, decrees and laws that they would pass. Once he couldn't go to Petersburg, to Petersburg, so he called in Abadin. He said, I want you to go on my behalf. You're my And he told him, gave him some instructions, and Rabban said, what should I do if I have a question, if I have a doubt? Remember, then there were no emails and no faxes and no phones. So what should I do? He asked, he's asking. So the tzamech said, Boy Al Dasatsme. You'll build on your own discretion. Think it through and decide. The Rebbe Marash who was there, the son of the tzamech didn't say anything, but he thought to himself, ah, you know, Rabban is a very bikasid, everything nice and good, but Egen Das atzme. he has his Egen Das, he has his own Das. So he had a like question about him. Anyway, the day came, he went off. Samach Sadik was sitting at a meal with his family, Rabban Marash was there as well. And Rabban, he could see that Samak Sadik suddenly is in another place. And he senses, he says, Rabban in was indeed having a problem, a dilemma. And he didn't know what to do. Samachsadik so sensed it. He waited a few, everyone waited a few minutes. Samachsadik so then smiled and said, good, good. At mechaving event. Good, good. Rabban was, he did, he did well. He was mechaving. He was aligned the way I would have done it. And the Rebbe realized, on the contrary, had that Tzambach Tzadik just sent a puppet, a robot, who didn't have a da'as didn't have independent volition, his own will, his own understanding. Okay. So he's very and he's uh, committed. But here Rabban had his, his da'as atzmeh. And still, he aligned to what the Rebbe would have done. That's the B'chidosh. That even if it's not mishpatim, okay, so of course you have no other choice. It's what God says, you do what God wants. But when it's now being mislabbish, it's manifest in your mind. Is your mind also going to be aligned? That's the key. And the Rebbe would always emphasize this. A shliach has to be a bardas b'fniyatsme. A shliach api Cannot be a son, cannot be a servant, cannot be somebody who doesn't have independent, a cotton, a child, who doesn't have independent mind. He to have an independent mind and chooses at his own volition to be a shliach of the Mishaleach. Now you could say one second, is Isn't it easier to send someone who doesn't have their own mind? But that's not a shliach. So, shliach is like a contradiction in a way. That he's of his own mind, but he chooses to align himself with the Meshalech. And then, shlucha shalom k'meise. Then he becomes power of attorney, he becomes a direct line channel of Meshalech. And so, go shliach heisha shliach, all to the first Meshalech. Of course, he has to not be moel bishliach he, he can't mutineer, he can't go against what his mandate is. But that's the key. So that's the lesson, to be independent, to have your individuality, but make sure it's aligned with Sinai from Sinai. Since we're talking about Yud Shvat, Chov Shvat, of course, follows Yud Shvat, all in the month of Shvat. So let's do a few f- questions and a few follow-ups from previous um, programs, especially two weeks ago. I didn't have a chance to do it last week. So by Yud son wrote, did the Friedrich Rebbe clearly say or subtly hint that the Rebbe should succeed him? So we don't know of any instructions, whether it was verbal or in writing. Rumors always flew around, but there was nothing specific. And the best proof is that we see indeed, even though there are many chsidim that immediately knew who the Rebbe is, but it wasn't something that was, uh, someone could point to a document. Um, so that's the short answer. Uh, people have pointed out that when it came to the Rabbeim, every second generation was like that. The Al-Tareb, it was very clear that it would be the Mitladeb. The Al-Tareb either said it or, was, uh, or wrote it even. we it came to uh, the Tzemaq it was not clear. That's why there was a whole story with a dream, Isha Kisazriya the older Zachar, and that was a proof that they brought, that the Tzemach Sadik should be, who was a grandson of the, the Alter Rebbe, through his daughter, Rebbe Tzendvayra Marash is a clear tzavo from the Tzemach Sadik that Rebbe Marash should be Rebbe. Rebbe, 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 Rebbe Marash the next Rebbe, Rebbe Rashab, there's nothing clear. As a matter of fact, for a number of years, the Rebbe Rashab refused to be officially considered Rebbe. His older brother, the Razor, from the Rebbe Rashab to the Fridic Rebbe, again, obvious, a Ben Yochid, it was also very clear that he groomed him for this. Told him to say, Maimed, I mean, very clear. And the Rebbe, the Fridic Rebbe to the Rebbe, again, not specific. That was always pointed out by Chassidim. Why is that way? I cannot say. Mika can speculate that sometimes you need to have the clear instructions, sometimes it has to be Mitzuvah Ve'esah, sometimes it ain't a each one has its qualities. Sometimes to be told what to do, sometimes we have to come to it from ourselves, like we said before, Das atzme, that people shall recognize it, like the mile of Purim over Matan Tera. Matan Tera was, uh, Gemara says in Shabbos, that, uh, that uh, the In could have of Why? Because they could say, that you compelled us to receive the Tera. That's why comes Purim, V'kimo, V'kibla Yehudim, that they now put him, they did it completely on their own will. So there's no more the tainer that God, so to speak, compelled them. So there's the mile in each one. And we know that Rebbe's Nisias was always that way. He's made it clear. That I'm not going to force you to do anything. But it was very clear what the Rebbe wanted. But we had to initiate on our own. In many ways, that's more pneumistic and more internalized, and more integrated. Okay. A follow-up. Let's do some follow-up. So we spoke about the names of the Rabbein. So we know that the Rebbe was against mixing a Rebbe with a, with a regular name of a person, when I say of a commoner, if you wish. But how about mixing the Rabbein themselves? Meaning, uh, the two names, where let's say one person has a name, uh, Yitzchak is the father's name, so you can't give the name Yosef Yitzchak. Can you give Yesef Shneir Or something like that. So the Rebbe actually wrote to somebody, um, Tov Lamed so there's a chassid who said that um, he wanted to call his, his first son, his uh, bchar by the name Friedrich Rebbe, but his name Yitzhak, he couldn't because that was his name, the father's name. So he was thinking, Yesef Menachem Mendel. And he asked the uh, Rabbi Chavikov to check with the Rebbe, and the Rebbe said, is and Kenyan. Rabeim is Nishkin. Nishfamir Meaning mixing. means more than that. Like it's a an and like just mixing combining two. Turabaim is not an Indian. Not for me and not for you. On the other hand, I did hear that Rabbi Groner said that the Rebbe had in other situations said it's fine. So, this I, it, you know, a, it could be different case scenarios, even though this sounds like something which is really universal because the Rebbe gives a reason. But this, I just wanted to read that. Someone else asked a question, Rabbi Jacobson, supplied Applied, episode 435. You mentioned that the Rebbe said not to mix the name of a Rebbe with a non Rebbe. However, I always wondered because Na'yem Yem of Chav Cheshvin. The Rebbe says that the Rebbe Rashab was named after the Mittler Rebbe and have the name of the Semach Tzaddik's father, Shalom Shachna, Shalom Dei Please explain that apparent contradiction. Thank you. So first of all, let's make it clear. The Rebbe Rashab was named by a Rebbe. So when a Rebbe names somebody, he, he knows what he's doing and he knows what to do, what he can't do. <laughs> the rose is to us not to mix the two. That we have clearly. So that's a complete exception. And it could very well be, we're talking about the Tzemach father. There's a special, uh, also a special status. That would be my most obvious uh, answer to that. Okay. Another thing we spoke about, and I had misspoken, and I want to correct myself, was I said that at the Tzemach Tzedek's istalkos, I'm sorry, at the Fridikar Rebbe's is there was a Koin Alevi in yisrael, And I misspoke of who was what. The kohen was Sholember Eichhorn, the Levi was Shmuel Witten and Abyech in the garden was the Yisrael. So I stand corrected. Okay. Since we're doing a ready follow-up, let's do another follow-up of Pasha's B'Shalach. Simply, I mentioned a number of times, a lot of questions come in, and I'm unable to cover them all, so I hopefully tried to catch up. So let's do a few about B'Shalach. And then there's some others that we will continue to cover. Let's hopefully see how much we can cover today. Okay. In Pasha B'Shalach, we read about Kriyash Yamsuv, the parting of the sea. So there's a famous expression in the Gemara that says, "Kosha Zivugan Ki, koshe, ki kriya Yamsuv. It's difficult to make a zivug like Kriya siyamsuv, like the parting of the sea. So the question is, how can we say that creating shaduchim, like the parting of the sea, is difficult for God? How is anything difficult for God? Here's how the person writes this. In some place, in reference to shidduchim, it's told that making shaduchim is more, is more difficult for Hashem than splitting the Red Sea. Not more. Kikriya Shamsuv. It begs the question, if Hashem is infinitely powerful, then why would anything be difficult for Him? Whether it's splitting a sea or making a shidduch. Hashem can do anything He wants. What does chazam mean when they say something is difficult for Him? Okay. So the Mittler Rebbe talks about this in Shara Amuna and other places it's cited. Obviously for Ebeshter, the Kol Yochel, can do whatever he wants. Nothing is difficult. But remember that the same Ebeshter chose to create the world with certain laws. It was not you and I that created it by those laws. The laws of nature. And he chose to bind himself by these laws, especially after the besu he will no longer in any way pause or suspend the laws of nature of the seasons of the Mazolus which happened at the Marble. And even there, he suspended it, but didn't completely destroy the sun and the moon and so on. So, they must to bound themselves to these laws. Indeed, that's why in Halacha you're supposed to do a mitzvah b'dera If, what difference does it make? Why did the Terebe have to stop the boat to make Kiddushalavon miraculously? And then he, then he let the boat continue and he wanted the captain to stop it. Because mitzvahs have to be done b'dera khateva because b'dera khateva is, is sacred in a certain way because those are the laws that God created. And he said, I want you to do it a certain way, in that way. Why? He could ask the same question, why he wants Sava HaKadosh Baruch, he desired to have a dira Tahtanim. But the tachtenim he chose uh, uh, follows certain laws. And Hashem is self-bound. Look at even Kriya Shamsuf. Even though it's one of the greatest miracles. Hashem could have he had to do all these manner, methods. Make a wind come and the wind cause the water to rise and stand like a wall. Why did he need that? He could have made the Jews just walk through the water and it won't affect you. Or he could have just made the water go without a wind. He doesn't need any manifestation. There are many ways to do it. He could have had them fly over the water. Because as much as possible, the Eberster wants it to be in the, without suspending all the laws. Some laws he suspends. In most cases not. That's why it says he I mean, doesn't do a miracle for no reason. Why not? Just do a miracle. Because it's not. Because the laws of nature are part of the divine plan. And that's why kosher, Kavyochel. It's difficult for him to go ahead and intervene and suspend the very laws that he himself created. He may have says it's difficult for me. And yet, at times he does it. And that's what we learn about Sheduchim. That Sheduchim, you're dealing with a male and female, different families. If you think about it, so many different opposites, so many reasons it shouldn't work. And yet the Abristan gives a special Kayach. Just like he gave the kayak by Kriyas Yamsuf, land and water, so different from each other, like male and female. And yet he gave the kayak of Hofach Yom Liyabosha to be able to join the two. Someone once went by dollars and I said to the Rebbe that he wants a brochure for the Koshin Kriyas Yamsuf, for a Shidduch. So the Rebbe said, Kriyas Yamsuf, Hof It's only like Kriyas Yamsuf, meaning it's not as difficult. Okay. So that covers that. Another question came in on B'Shalach. It says when the Jewish people crossed the Red Sea safely, they took out their musical instruments and started singing praises to God. It makes us think just a short time earlier, they were instructed to leave Egypt, and they left so quickly they didn't have time for their dough to rise. In the short time they had to pack their bags, one would think they would only have time to pack the most urgent items for survival, food and clothing and medicines, etc. But it seems many of us pack musical instruments. My question for Rabbi Jacobson, Rabbi Jacobson is, why is it so important to bring musical instruments? What part of, my, of the experience of music is important to the imminent survival of a large group of people running away from captivity, captivity, captivity and bondage? Okay. So Rashi in Bishalach actually says the following, It talks about the musical instruments. Tezvov fifteen twenty. So it says, So Rashi says, I'm which means Miriam took. A uh, tra- tambourine or a uh, uh, different names for it. And, uh, and she went out, and all the women followed her with their tambourines and drums. So it says <laughs> that the righteous women of the generation were so sure and confident, trusting in God that He would do for them miracles, that they took their Tufim Mitzrayim, they took their tambourines. From Egypt. That's what the Michilta says. You could still say, why Dafka musical instruments? Because music, you can imagine, you see song and music, look how, what role it plays whenever we're in any given situation, especially in a difficult one. There's no question that the men, women, and children sang a lot of songs in Mitzrayim when they suffered, and it lifted their spirits. Nigan Shtfila. Is from the words of Tefillah, shirah, song. So they were confident that Hashem would do miracles. They were confident that they would need to play song and play music. And it was a vital component. It wasn't just an addendum. Because why did they sing shirah after Kriya Yamsuf? It just broke out in song. Because song represents the innermost depths of the soul speaking to God, singing to God. As a matter of fact, song reveals your innermost feelings. And what was Kirya Samsuf? The revelation of the sea and land that you could see within the sea. The sea is also a hidden world. Song and, is, song is the idea of revealing that which is hidden, the hidden worlds. Alma Diskasi is the land of the, is the world of the sea." And Kriya Samsuf was revealing that. Song is a form of gaguim, of yearning, of longing. And especially Vitesha, the Vitosha Miriam, especially Miriam's song. As the, as the Rebbe brings from the Kutte de Budim, a famous story the the Balshemtiv, why Vatosha Dveda? Why is the Avtira Why not the story of, uh, of, of the Shira of let's say David? Why a woman? I mean, it says Ozyosha Mesha and then came Miriam. So why is the Aftedah the woman's song, Dvira, not the song of, of 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 the man of the men? Because in some way, and that's why it says BeIsha Erva. The woman's song, because she comes from a deeper, soulful place, her song reflects more of an intimate nature. And that's why she captures, as the Rebbe explains in that story in the Kutta Deburim, it is the woman that has the power to transform, not, like no other. So her song is a deeper reach, and that's why Taka, there's more care to be taken when a woman sings, because she can reach deeper into the soul than a man. And that's why the Haftar is so they were convinced that they would need to sing and they would need to play music. And that's why they took their musical instruments with them. It's a tremendous lesson in life that even when you're suffering, don't, don't forget to sing. Don't forget your instrument. Everyone has their instrument. Because these instruments, not only the time of difficulty, but when the, the time when you'll need to praise, you want to be ready. You're ready to sing. And you're always thinking that. I cannot wait to sing my song of praise to God for my miracles, for my blessings, for my gifts. It's a beautiful lesson. Does it say somewhere that composing music is a form of prophecy? If that's the case, are musicians prophets? If someone needs a bracha and and isn't in a place where they can ask a rabbi, can they ask a piano player or a guitar player for a blessing? Interesting question. I don't know if composing music is a form of prophecy, even though I am sure that some musicians in history the Levim, some prophets who composed the song, Shira was a form of prophecy. Was Oziyosh Mesha a form of prophecy, of Nivua? Again, this would need more research. I didn't do the research, but if somebody has more information on this, please share it with me, and I'll share it with the audience. But there is an element. I wouldn't necessarily call it, even if it doesn't say it's prophecy, but it's definitely an element of revelation. Revelation of a deeper place. The people who, certain Nugunim you hear, composed Back then, and even today, and over the years, he could feel that the person who composed the song had, an, had access to a higher place, a deeper place. Especially when a Rebbe composes a song, it reflects on a deeper level. David Hamelech was, of course, Naim's Miris Israel, song, singer, composer, and he actually asked Hashem, Yi Rotsen Imre he said, may it be your will that the words I sang to you, I, I cried out to you. I, my words of praise should become the words that Jews use forever. So it ends up becoming like a prophecy. So there's definitely overlap. And whether you can go over to any piano player, I think every musician, especially if they use their music for, for good things and holy things, is a form of revelation. It's definitely a gift of God. The ability to express a certain sentiment, a certain feeling, experience in a way that not everybody is capable to, of doing, and giving us the language, so to speak, and giving us the tools, the ability to express ourselves in, in times to transport us to another time and place. Kol bali asher, nechnosem b'shev, yatesem Bashir as the Alter Eben interprets, song is soul transportation. It allows you, your spirit, to soar, to reach places you can never reach on your own. That's the power of a negan. Okay, well, moving from a, um, well, I want to add one more thing, the Gemara talks about the, the Batche, when people by dollars went over different singers, the Rebbe would say, since you misameh you go straight to Elam Haba, as the Gemara says about the tre Batche, the two Batche are more uh, entertainers, the Batchanim, and performers, but the same idea when you make other people happy and musicians are included, there's also a special koyach, a special blessing that you get. Okay. So, let us now talk about, um, someone asked about dreams. Should we interpret dreams? I get a lot of different letters about this. I can't always read them because some of them are very personal, some of them are very strange as well. Now, as I always say, nothing's taboo, but I don't know if it's always for the public. Sometimes it's more of a private question. But I'll read one. Rabbi Jacobson, can you please answer my question if you have the time? I know nothing of Jewish tradition or cultural do's and don'ts, so I'd figure out as direct. Remember, some of these questions are coming from people who are listening to different programs of ours. I watched your YouTube video titled, What is Kabbalah?, and it blew my mind. So much of it was vital to my spiritual journey. I have prophetic dreams and visions from God often. In a recent dream, a bushman came to my home and we said we need to talk, meaning him and I. He came into my house with many people and there was a big party, dancing, singing, and clapping. It's important to know that I'm Australian. A bushman to me wears a dark hat, has a bushy beard, and wears a long dark coat. As usual, when the time is right, the details of the dream are revealed by God. And later an image crossed my path and it occurred to me that my Bushman visitor with his party in tow was in fact a Jewish man. So I'm of course surprised and keen to learn whatever it is that I need to learn and watch more of your videos. But as mentioned above, I need to know if this is okay. And of course, I'd like to say thank you and I love the video. So in general, we stay away from interpreting dreams unless we have no choice, which means it's either really disturbing us, that's why you have the concept of a tiny column, or it's repeated dreams. Then it's good to go to someone, a mentor, a spiritual mentor, a responsible person. Because there are many people who are I'd say, let's call them predators, con artists, snake oil salesmen, you know, that are gonna just take advantage, exploit, and so on. We're not talking about that at that level. You know, feeding off vulnerable people, have a dream and try to interpret it and then charge for it, etc. So you have to be very careful, even though in the Torah we speak about dreams. Joseph interpreted dreams. But there's also Voviv Shamada Sadovar which the Gemara and Bracha says that Yaakov was quiet because a dream goes; and follows its interpretation and that's why we don't have to always interpret things. So I would stay away from interpretations, especially not knowing in a dream you have Dvar and Betel, and there's no dream without nonsense. On the other hand, a dream could have certain glimpses. And above all, everything about this has to be responsible. Is it leading to you being a more responsible person or is it an escape or an excuse even? The Rebbe once told somebody, before we figure out our dreams, let's figure out what we're doing when we're awake. So I would avoid interpretations. I would look more to what is your life like? Are things going well? If not, what can be done to make them better before we go to dreams? Someone who's experienced and has the maturity and the balance can determine maybe it's time, maybe, to look at a dream if indeed one jumps out at us. But beyond that, that's where I would, that's my response. I have spoken about this before. Okay, in (laughs) talking about this, let's talk now about therapy. So someone asked the following. This is how they put it. I hate therapy. That's how the email began. I was forced into it as a child for being too quiet by the high school administration. All it did was worsen my relationship with my parents. No one cared what I had to say and everyone, including the high school administration, wanted me to shut up anyway. I just got mixed messages. The pain continued until adulthood and marriage, and all I can get is try therapy again. Pay hundreds of dollars to undo what was wrongly done to me. I felt, is that what I should do? Pay hundreds of dollars to, un- to undo what was wrongly done to me? I felt like a great child in high school, wanting to please my parents with good grades. All was ruined by the jerks in high school. I was also nearly fired by being too much, by, by living, by uh, being too much, bringing too much negativity, I thought I was supposed to talk like that. That is why I—that is what I hear my coworkers do, all the time. But when then I do it, when I do it, it is wrong for me. I wanted to to hurt myself and commit suicide if the fire was finalized. But thankfully, I was saved. Even talking positively got me in trouble. So I double down on being quiet, and feel tons of resentment. I even tracked out the principal who did this to me, apologized and asked for mechila, and then said she has no time for me and basically blocked me. Had enough time to ruin my life, but not enough time to to try to fix it. I'm trying to pay all my bills and I do not want to take on therapy as another expense to undo what was wrongly done to me. So I have to suffer until it is time for me to leave this world. I really hate when rabbis tell me to do therapy. And also, also men mock women for talking. But when a woman does not talk much, suddenly it is a problem. Okay, well, I don't know all the circumstances, and and frankly, being that this is Tanya, uh, I'm sorry, this is my my life. This applied. I want to say that the approach the Rebbe already gave us: you have to find yourself a mentor, a mashpia, a spiritual mentor, a rav, a selach or kanele chachover, a good friend, one person that you can trust and speak to about your situation. First of all, I need to hear all the details. Because the concept of having somebody to speak to him, if somebody has anxiety in their heart, they should speak about it. That's one of the interpretations in the Gemara. To speak about it. And the Rebbe Marash explained, by speaking, you release it. You're allowed, you can free yourself from it. So it's important to have someone to speak to. It's very hard for me to answer because I don't know all the circumstances. So you hate therapy. A lot of therapy is not necessarily good. Agreed. But having a trusted friend trusted mentor, someone you can open up to, is critical because they can see things more objectively. Someone cares about you. They may see your blind spots and help guide you along in a sensitive, empathetic, and kind fashion. That's what I say to you and to anyone who has a similar type of question. Okay. So now I want to deal with, um, with the time left, let's deal with... um, Questions regarding um, tensions. What can I do about tensions between myself and my spouse around religion? Dear Rabbi Jacobson, I hope that my message finds you well. I appreciate your show very much. You have addressed issues I struggle with on numerous occasions and have helped me to form healthier and more balanced perceptions. I'm writing today because a little while ago I started becoming religious. I am married with children, and my husband has always been very tolerant and accepting. He has even grown so much doing more with respect to Judaism. In many ways, I'm so grateful for his acceptance. He has let go of so much to allow me to be frum. However, there's plenty of tension regarding my observance level, and sometimes Tzinius and Kashos upsets him and gets him on his nerves. I also don't want to push him away from Yiddishkeit, he feels that my tznius ways of dress is not appealing to him, and he prefers I dress more like I used to. He also doesn't like any of my head coverings. I've tried many styles, and I'm not sure what else to do. Everything I read in my learning points to how special to how special increasing tznius is and how it good, is good to strive to grow and be more tznius. I consult Rabbanim frequently with regard to individual issues that arise, but our shalom bias is an ongoing challenge that I'm not sure how to approach. I would like to have a more thought-out strategy for dealing with this. Thank you for taking the time to read, and thanks for any guidance you can offer. Well, shalom bias, as you accurately describe, is the single biggest foundation to everything. The Rambam says at the end of Hilchah's Hanukkah, has l'ha sholom. Greatest thing is peace, harmony, at home, The whole teder was given just to bring peace in this world. And he brings the law. That if you have only money, if you have money, and it's Hanukkah Shabbos, and you have only only to light Shabbos candle, or Hanukkah candle, which one do you light? So you may think Hanukkah candle. Because Shabbos is every week. No. Hanukkah candles come to celebrate and publicize God's miracle. and Issa. Shabbos candles come to preserve Shalom Bayis. And Shalom Bayis is always more powerful. And then he brings something wild it brings and that's why the Eberster said Yim erase my name when a woman is accused of infidelity in the laws of Saita so one of the ways they prove her innocence is by putting God's name on her tongue under her tongue and, and it dissolves and then you know why would God do such a thing remember erasing God's name is one of the cardinal sins Because erase my name to preserve harmony and peace between husband and wife. God wants to show, don't use me between husband and wife. So though obviously the standards of Torah and Mitzvahs are the way God wants us to live, but he also wants us to have Shalom B'ayis. So what do you do when there's a conflict between the two? Fundamentally, there shouldn't be one. But sometimes human beings are human beings based on their comfort zone, based on their history, based on their baggage, based on their past as you're describing My advice to you is, first of all, be as loving as you can to your husband. And the more firm you want to be, be even more loving. He needs to see that your relationship with God and with Yiddishkeit and your relationship with love is the same thing. You can't see it as competition. Oh, you're connecting to God, but you're creating distance between us. No. The more closer you are to God, the closer you should be to your husband. He needs to see that. Because without that, you will create a rift. As far as specifics, I would advise going to a third party. Well, before a third party, I would create some communication. Can't just be a conflict. Hear what your husband has to say. Listen to him closely. Being that you seem to be the more committed one in certain areas, and I have to, I have to say for the record, it very well be that he may be committed in other areas that you need to embrace. Remember, tznidus and kaschus, as important as they are, there are other aspects to a relationship. Being that I don't know everything that's going on, it's hard for me to say, so see where your husband brings a certain dimension that maybe he can teach you. And listen to him closely. See what his concern is and try to address it. Don't make it, it's between me, you and God, between you and sneers, between you and Kashus. And then finally, find the third party, party that he trusts, where he can speak very openly and bluntly, and you can speak, to see if there's anything that can be done that can bring you guys closer. But always remember, Relationship with God should make you closer to your husband, not more distant. And if it's making more distance, even if you were to say it's his fault because he doesn't accept it yet, no, but you're the one that has to be wiser. Something has to be done to make sure that your relationship with God, with mitzvahs, with tzniahs, with kashrus, whatever it may be, only brings you closer to your husband and your husband closer to you and to your children. And there's no question if you make that effort, get the ego out of the way. An ego can also be sometimes religious ego. You'll achieve the intended results. But being, again, it's, I'm only reading this, I don't know all the details, something that you need to discuss with someone more detail so I'll be able to really answer and deal with all the nuances. In that vein, someone asks, how to empower my husband and not become a nag? Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. I hope that this message finds you well. I'm writing to ask your opinion about how to get away from nagging and instead empowering my husband. I have read on many occasions about how it is special, it is the special role of the Jewish woman to set the tone for her family. I would love for our family to be doing exactly what Hashem desires of us. Sometimes though, I get into trouble with the delivery, though I know that I have good, good intentions. Can you help me find the right balance? The most clear example of this is dukkah. I often send my husband's dukkah opportunities. I often try to encourage him to increase our family's tzedakah charity pledges, duck of charity pledges, and the frequency of them. My husband often gets upset and frustrated when I do this. Is there anything I can do to empower my husband to do more tzedakah without it coming off as nagging? Maybe there's a better way to communicate that when I've been doing that. What I've been doing currently—just asking him and sending him links to opportunities. Thank you so much for your response. Okay. So my response is as follows, very similar to what I said in the previous question, about the previous question. Before you start imposing your approach on your husband, why don't you speak to him and say, you know, I love Zaka. I don't want to be the one that pushes you. Because then it comes across, okay, he's doing you a favor, he may be tolerating you, or he sees you as a nag. Why don't you ask him? What are ways we could increase and how could I be supportive? I don't want to be the person that's initiating. I don't want to be the person that's nagging. Let him speak. It sounds to me that you have your way and maybe we go the in good intentions as you say and that's that. So it's not just how to say it. It's first also laying the groundwork, having an environment for it. Let's say you decide that you love to make a certain food every night or every few nights and your husband eats it. Why don't you ask him? Is this something you'd like? And he may say, "Let's try something else." Not to insult you, because maybe he has different tastes. But open up the conversation. What I feel missing maybe is opening up the conversation and letting him speak. Just to, you know. and, and and sometimes there are things he wants to do that you're not doing. So instead of imposing, Nachzak is a beautiful mitzvah and a great mitzvah. But there may be other things. Make it a partnership instead of. How am I going to figure out how to maneuver to get him to give more and more frequent, and so on? Also, help empower his strengths. What is he good at? What does he like to do? There may be things that he likes to do that you're not emphasizing. The more empowering, the more he will more likely respond to something that you ask for. Which brings me to the final point. Love always gets what you want. Be loving, not demanding, not imposing. Not insisting. Not saying you know better. You may not be intending to do all of that, but it can come across that way. And that's why you need to let him speak. Open it up. You want to create a more godly home. Ask him, what can we do to make our home more godly? And turn to him for leadership. Not just, so you don't, it's not a rhetorical question, so you should answer it. Let him answer it. Because at the end of the day, Zuck is one piece of many different factors and ingredients that makes a home a more divine home. That's what you want to do. It could be through learning. There's Torah, Vedic, Mills, There are three pillars. You have children. You have other things in your family. There's Shabbos. There's so many ways to create a more beautiful home. Guests, inviting guests. But listen to your husband. Ask him what he thinks should be the priorities. And not in a way, and then say, and by the way, I think we now should add Zedoka because then it becomes an agenda which will only be, uh, can only be a turn off. Okay. I hope that was helpful. And with that, we shall conclude this week's program. Everyone, let's use Chav to the fullest, Mishpatim, taking the Rebetzin together with the Rebbe as partners that brought us such gifts to take their gifts and turn them into assets that will help us transform this world and make Taka Becha Yivarich Yisrael Adira Betachtena Adira Noah that permeated with chayas and mushkeh and aroma of teirah and mitzvahs, which is sometimes compared to the two. We talk about the, the Dalet Minim, you talk about Reach as well as um, tam, tam ve reyach, teirah, mitzvahs, and transform this world, and finally have the Reb and the Rebetzin back with us, gula begashmius. Everyone have a very good week. It's Lohadikah week. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. This has been My Life, Hasidus Applied. Thank you so much. This program is brought to you by My Life, Hasidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at hasidusapplied.com donate.